so the good news is that we don't get the love of God. The love of God gets us. And all we can do is go where it can find us. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, one of the best things that I found to read when our kids were little was Winnie the Pooh. And so A.A. Milne was a master. There were a couple of collections of stories, uh, just Winnie the Pooh. And then the one that I'm referencing today is from the house at Pooh Corner. Many of you will remember those stories. Uh, it's just a fabulous world that he creates, the Hundred Acre Wood. You know, and they're always exploring. They're, somebody's always lost and somebody's always getting found. And it's just this whole circle of friendships and of people with different personalities. And it's just, it's a blast to read it. And one of the things that happens in the Winnie the Pooh stories is Winnie the Pooh is always writing these things called hums. And so a hum is like a little song. It's like a little jingle that Winnie the Pooh writes. And he, it's kind of synonymous with poetry. So uh, Winnie the Pooh's little hums. And I was remembering as I was thinking about the sermon this week, I was remembering a particular one in which Eeyore finds the Woolery. So if you want to look it up, uh, all, the, all the stories begin with, you know, it's the one in which Piglet does so-and-so or in which. So this is in which Eeyore finds the Woolery. So uh, that's going on. Well, Winnie the Pooh is frustrated at the beginning of the story because he promised Piglet that he would write a song. He would write a hum for Piglet, and it's on a special occasion, and he hasn't got around to it yet. So he's kind of muttering under his breath, and he's frustrated that he hasn't got it done yet. And so he says to himself in his frustration, but it isn't easy. That's writing songs. He says, it's not easy because poetry and hums aren't things which you get. They are things that get you. And all you can do is go to where they can find you. Isn't that great? Poetry and hums are not things which you get, but they are things that get you. And all you can do is go where they can find you. I think that's one of the best way to talk about our exercise this year in the Psalms. The Psalms are like this. You don't get the Psalms. Rather, the Psalms get you. And all you can do is go where the Psalms can find you. One of the major themes in the Psalms that we're going to look at today is the theme of experience. It's real life that's happening for David and the other psalmists as they write. These are real things. They're not writing about things that they don't know anything about. You know, as the old adage says, they're not the travel agents who are selling you brochures to places they've never been. They've been there, and they're going there all the time. And so experience is this great theme in the Psalms. It's, it's a well-established conviction, the things that they talk about. And Psalm 28 is a psalm that I want to look at today. It's kind of a segue into uh, what we're talking about. And Psalm 28 is... It's, you know, the last few weeks we've talked about different styles of psalms. We have the psalms of lament, the psalms of the cursing psalms. We looked at um, a psalm of, goodness gracious, of confession. We started out a psalm of repentance. And so this week is not really something that falls neatly into any category. Rather, it has a little bit of all of it mixed in. Psalm 28, it starts out this praise psalm. Lord, to you I call. Be my, you're my rock. Be not deaf to me. 
If you're silent to me, I'll become like those who go down in the pit. So it starts out with this cry for mercy. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. So there's this, please hear me, God. And then after he goes through a little bit more of his prayer, there's resolution at the end of the psalm. And David says, blessed be the Lord. It's like doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Blessed be the Lord for he has heard my voice. It's no longer, Lord, will you do this? But he says that you've heard me, God. And so blessed be your name. He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield and in him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. That's a song of somebody who's experienced something special. Somebody that's experienced what it's like to have the love of God fill your heart. He says, my heart is full. My heart exults. Another way of saying that is my heart is living again. <laughs> my heart was falling asleep. It was not awake. And my heart lives again because you answered me. You heard the cry, my cry for mercy. Depth of experience. In him, my heart trusts. This is evidence of the love of God. Evidence of of the love of God. And when I think about the love of God, when I think about experiencing the love of God, I think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 uh, that Nina read for us. It's, it's this prayer, you can imagine Paul, he's praying for his people, right? He's praying for his friends. He's praying for his fellow Christians uh, in his area and in the province, but, but everywhere. And uh, one way to think of this prayer, it's, it's like the prayer that you would pray for your friends if you want to give them something to do for the rest of their lives, right? Have you ever prayed that way for your kids or your friends who said, I'm going to pray for y'all to be busy with this for the rest of your life. But it's not busy work. It's the best kind of work that you can be involved in. So if you want to pray for somebody that they would have a full-time job for the rest of their lives, and you give them, give them something they could do, this is a great way to pray. Because Paul says he prays for something that seems impossible. But over time, it becomes possible as part of the mystery of Christ. So Paul prays that the church, prays that his people, he prays that we would have strength to comprehend something that's incomprehensible. He prays that we would have the knowledge of something that is entirely unknowable. Can we ever fully know and exhaust the love of God? No. But can we know the love of God? Can we begin to explore how high and how deep and how wide and how far-reaching is the love of God? Yes. And so Paul says, for this reason, I'm bowing my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, right? Every, everybody that's been named by God, I'm, I'm praying for them that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner person. You think about it this way, you know, there are some things that we want to experience in life that we can't experience unless we have some new strength, unless we're strengthened. So like if I want to have the experience of climbing a mountain, and it's a challenging mountain, then I have to be strengthened ahead of time. I can't make it up the mountain if I'm not strong enough to make it up the mountain. So I got to do that ahead of time so my, my body could experience something if I was strengthened for it. 
And Paul's saying it works the same way with our prayer and our understanding and our attachment to Jesus that we have to be strengthened in our inner person in order to comprehend the love of God. Because no one can comprehend the love of God because they're smart enough or because they've been to enough Bible studies or there's nothing that just necessarily gets you there. Uh, but it's a gift. And it's something we have to constantly be strengthened in our heart. So it's this image of the heart that is a muscle that can be strengthened all the time. And Paul says, I, want, I pray, God, that you would strengthen my friends, that you would strengthen their hearts so that they could know. They can have a knowledge of something that's, yeah, it's unknowable, but would you give them a taste of what is the height, what is the depth? What is the width? What is the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus that surpasses knowledge? It says, I want you to strengthen them in their inner person so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that being rooted and well-founded in love. Paul does this a lot. You remember when he'll, he'll mix like a building metaphor and an agricultural metaphor. So, well, you know, being... Um, Rooted is obviously a, a plant metaphor. It's an agrarian metaphor. And then being well-founded is a building metaphor. It's like I want them to be rooted well in good soil, and I want them to be built on a good foundation. I want them to be well-founded. And those things together, I want them to grow. It's the image, you know, Peter uses this image of living stones. But it's, it's this organic metaphor where we're well-established and we're ready for the growth that God has set out for us. You know, this knowing Christ, this loving Christ, the beautiful thing about it is, is it's always mutual. God is loving us in Christ, and then we are loving Christ. God, God knows us perfectly, and then we're offered the opportunity to know God. God is not some faraway, unknowable person, but it's, it's always mutual. It's an eternal practice, and it's inexhaustible. Uh, but it's, it's a beautiful work that we have been invited to. And when I think of the psalmist and this idea of experiencing God, I think of this way of being with God where we have been rooted, we've been well-founded, and we're just always growing up in the love of God. The outcome of our spiritual strengthening is this comprehending what is uncomprehensible, but that's our goal. That's where we're asked to go. And as we come to the knowledge of the love of Christ, that's how we're filled with the fullness of God. That's how we grow. And so, just like hums and poetry that who is frustrated by that, that you can't get, but they're the ones they have to get you, if the Psalms are that way, I think the love of God is that way. The love of God is not something which you get but it's something that gets you. And all you can do is go where it can find you. All you can do is go where the love of God can find you. So my question this morning that I'd like to leave you with, I'd like you to continue the conversation. Where do we go where the love of God can find us? Where can we go where the love of God can find us? Just a couple of observations. Uh, some places that I have been found by the love of God. And there are many 
and you, I hope, will continue the conversation. I hope you'll share with friends and share with me and, and remind and think about where are the places that we can be found by God. And these are the places we want to go. They're the places we want to send our kids. You know, we're looking for these opportunities. One place that we can be found by the love of God is when the, psalm, when the psalmist referenced sanctuary. Now, they don't just mean the physical space of the sanctuary that was built human hands that you can go into, but a forest can be a sanctuary. And the great thing about a sanctuary, of course, is it, it takes for granted that God is present in the sanctuary. That's, it's a special place. So it takes for granted God is there. Also, a sanctuary is not a sanctuary if there aren't a group of people there. Uh, this is what John Wesley meant when he said there's no holiness apart from social holiness. He didn't mean like social justice kind of stuff. He meant holiness that is you have to be around other people or you can't really be holy because we, we all think we're holy if we're in a vacuum or by ourselves all the time. We're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good over here. But it's with other people that we really grow. And so when we have something in common like worship, that's a place where God finds us. We have something in common and the love of God finds us. Um, another place, so, and, and in the sanctuary, I think we find people who are, tending to the inner person. You know what I mean? You're around, you know those people that really just, they live at a deeper level. They're willing to go to a deeper place. They're willing to let the love of God do work in their lives. And so they're paying attention to this inner person. And it's, it's kind of an art form. And so when you see somebody that's paying attention to the inner person, that's usually a safe place to go if you want the love of God to find you. Because usually what those people will do is they will make space for the love of God around them. They will make space for you and for me to experience the love of God. Their life is not so full that people aren't welcome in that space. That's always a good place to go. Uh, one we talked about a couple of weeks ago that David does just a little bit in this Psalm 28 is confession. Confession is a place where the love of God has found me very often. Uh, sometimes that's the clearest place that I know that the love of God has found me because I'm aware of the reality of what would it be like if there wasn't forgiveness what it would be like, and what I would be stuck with if I didn't have the promise of forgiveness. So the practice of confession and receiving the absolution of sin is a place where uh, the love of God finds me. And finally, um, a place that I thought of that the love of God often finds us is when we are with others who are suffering. When we go to places where people are suffering, and we go there specifically to be with them, to bring a quality of presence, uh, that is one place that the love of God will find us. Because remember what Jesus said about those who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And one of the ways that Jesus comforts people in their suffering is by sending other people, by sending and mobilizing the church to be present in the middle of suffering. This is what Mother Teresa did, right? She did with her whole life. I mean, she gave her entire life to be with those who are suffering. And she said, yeah, I could go other places, but it's these people here in the streets of Calcutta that are suffering, and that's where God has called me. And it was in those places that she knew that the love of God had found her. And here in a moment, after the sermon, we will practice uh, Holy Communion. We will receive Holy Communion together. And Communion strikes me as a place where these areas all intersect, right? We're, we're, we're present Jesus has literally suffered and been present to us in that way. 
and we're with others kneeling, we're confessing, and we're in the sanctuary. We're in a place where, uh, where we have something in common, and that is the love of God. So continue the conversation. Ask yourself, where can I go to be found by the love of God? Where do I go to be found by the love of God? I want to conclude jumping back to Psalm 28. And this image really struck me uh, this week. And there's a verb that is in the last little bit of Psalm 28. It's actually in the last phrase. David says, The Lord is the strength of His people. He's the saving refuge of His anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This verb carry is uh, the same verb that he uses at the beginning of the psalm to say, I'm going to lift my hands. So I'll lift my hands, and he's saying, uh, be a shepherd, Lord, who, who lifts your people, who carries your people. Uh, this was one of the few Hebrew vocabulary words I can always remember, because to lift up or to carry, is uh, the Hebrew word is nasa. And when you spell it out in English, it looks like nasa. So it was like nasa, up. I was like, I, I can remember that. So that was my little device remembering uh, Nasa, but uh, it's the same word. And, and so God is, he's carrying his people. That's the image that David leaves us with. And in, the, in that way, it's a similar prayer to what Paul prays. Tend your people and carry them forever. Carry them by strengthening them so that they can understand what is ultimately impossible to fully understand, and that is the love of God. A few weeks ago, I was uh, helping one of our parishioners uh, ship some cattle, and in order to do that, we were having to move some pens around and kind of move things. And one of the things you don't want to do with a newborn calf is you don't want to ever have to move them very soon. You want them to have time to kind of, you know, uh, just figure out what the world's all about before you go to moving them around. Uh, but sometimes you have to move them, and so when you do that, you just have to pay close attention because a, a mama will, you know, know they know what to do when the gate opens and it's time to move. And sometimes they will leave the baby thinking they'll come back later, but they're not going back to that pasture. So you just have to pay attention. So uh, the guy I was helping, uh, who's a member of our church, he he came in behind the cow and we got everything done. The gate shut, and and I couldn't. I was like, where did he go? You know, and I, and then I look up and I see him coming from a ways away, and he's carrying the baby. You know, and he's walking up to the pen so he can bring him back. And, uh, and I watched, and as watched as my kids watched, and I thought of that image when I thought of God carrying us, is that when we need to be carried the most, that's what God is all about. He's finding us in the places that we can be found. And so the good news is that we don't get the love of God. The love of God gets us. And all we can do is go where it can find us. But the even better news is that God is already looking for us, and that He will find us, and He will bear us up. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.